0: The greatest comfort that you and I can ever experience as believers in Christ is knowing that we are His. We are safe and secure in His grace. That is the subject of our time today as we return to Romans chapter 8. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. the last couple of broadcasts, we've been spending our time in Romans 8, verses 14 through 16, our series called Blessed Assurance, looking at those important spiritual truths that surround our assurance as believers in Christ. To be a Christian means to be led by God's Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does to lead us. So all straight ahead, join us. For today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, here's Pastor Steve.
1: Look at what he says there in verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're led, present tense. It's an active thing that's going on in your life. See, when you're not studying God's Word, you're not walking in obedience. You're not going to receive this confirmation of your salvation from the Spirit. There's going to be a check there. Something's not going to be right. When you do not submit to his leading, what happens? You doubt your salvation. I mean, that's why the New Testament, all over the place, what's it do? It tells us. It's filled with exhortation after exhortation to be obedient, to be growing in God's Word. That's so important. And if you think coming here, sitting here for an hour, hearing somebody expound the scriptures, well, that's what it's all about. You've missed the whole point. This is just a celebration of all your study you've done all week. Just like it's a celebration of my study that I've done all week. If you're relying on some guy to come up here, stand behind a pulpit and somehow give you enough to get through the next week, you're sorely mistaken. I don't care who that individual is. You have to invest Then you will sense this confirmation. Because the Spirit's leading is not sporadic. It's not something that's momentary. It's a continual reality in the life of every believer. What a wonderful blessing that is. So he stirs our heart. Thirdly, he directs our wills. He directs our wills. Just as the Spirit leads us by renewing our minds and stirring our hearts and our affections to love what he loves, he does so by redirecting and strengthening our wills, to go after what he desires. How does the Spirit, Holy Spirit lead a person? Well, he doesn't do it forcefully. It's not, it's, God's not forcing us to do things. What does he do? He leads by literally changing our will. When the Lord redeems people, he doesn't leave them on their own. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, what would it? What a horrible life it would be if God saved you, if he gave, forgave you of all your sins and then said, there you go. See you later. Hopefully we'll see you in heaven one day. Didn't give you the Holy Spirit. Didn't give you any, the word. Didn't give you any brothers and sisters to encourage you. He just kind of let you waffle down here on this sin-filled earth till you died or he came back. That would not be a joyful experience. That would be a miserable experience. Because without the Spirit of God, we would... Be hopeless. <laughs> well, how does the Spirit lead us? He does so by a couple ways, but one of these ways is illumination. Illumination. I don't think that's in your notes, but he directs our path by helping us to understand God's Word. You know, when you come to this book, I hope that you come to this book prayerfully. I hope that you don't just, you know, I've got to read this a couple pages today for my devotion. You, you should always come to God's Word prayerfully. Sometimes he'll lead us in a specific practical way, but primarily he leads through the illumination of his word. Look back at Genesis chapter 41, verse 38 and 39. Genesis 41, 38 and 39. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. The Egyptians looked at Joseph's wisdom and they acknowledged that, you know what? This doesn't come from this man. This comes from a supernatural being. And they called it the Spirit of God. Today we receive God's wisdom through his word. That's how we receive it. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 15 to 19, Paul says this, Ephesians 1, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints, and what are the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul prays and understands that God gives us wisdom through the power of his spirit. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19, Paul prays again. He says, he prayed that, According to the riches of glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the height and the the depth and the length and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How does it happen through the spirit? Colossians 1.9, Paul says, And so, from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with, controlled with, the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, the Spirit of God, beloved, fills us with the knowledge of God's will. And He does so primarily through the illumination He gives us when we read the Bible. That's why it's so important to read your Bible. If this book is not in your hand every day, if you're not putting what is on the pages of this book in your heart every day, there's something wrong. There's something terribly wrong. Colossians 3.16 tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And you know what? When you do that, the word of God comes alive. Start off small. Take the book of 1 John and say, You know what? I'm going to read through that book every day for a month. You know what's going to happen after 30 days? You're going to know what's on the pages of Scripture concerning 1 John. Even if you just read it casually, just the repetitive nature of reading through it, it'd probably take you maybe 20 minutes if you're a slow reader. You're going to understand what's on the pages of this book. And yet so many times we look for gimmicks, we look for devotionals, we look for other things that take us away from this book and into another one. And God is saying, no, spend time in this letter that I have written to you. Now with that being said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 says very clearly, the natural man, those who are not saved, does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They are folly to him, nor is he able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The unbeliever, the non-Christian, the person who does not have the spirit of God cannot understand scripture on his own. Can he understand the words? Well, yes, clearly. But he's not going to understand the true spiritual meaning as the Holy Spirit defines us, defines for us when we read through his power and his illumination. Why? Because we literally have the mind of Christ when we are part of the body of Christ. In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, Christ opened the disciples. It says this, understanding that they might understand the scriptures. These are people who were with Christ every day. And yet he still had to help them understand the scriptures. That's why it's so exciting to see so many ladies signed up for this hermeneutics class. Because you know what? If you can't understand what's on the pages of scripture, your Christian life is, is... I don't know how you would do it. You know, you're going to be just kind of shooting in the dark. You know, studying the scripture is like any other craft. It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes a willingness to sit down and understand what the text is saying. You know, don't don't play willy-nilly with the word of God. Sometimes I get so frustrated. I got to kind of point my tongue sometimes because I'll hear... Christians who, I, I know they mean well, but they'll ask questions. And the question a lot of times they'll ask is, they'll go they'll, to they'll verse and they'll say something like, well, what does that mean to you? Because to me it means this. <laughs> I'll go, okay, who cares? I mean, in all honesty, who cares what it means to me? Right? Who cares what it means to you? What we want to find out is what did the author intend it to mean when he wrote it? See, if we start there, then we're on pretty safe ground. But if we start off saying, well, to me, this means this or well to that, you know, I've been in Bible studies where I just cringe because, you know, the the Bible study, this was early on in my my Christian life. And I even then it didn't make sense to me. We'd read a section of scripture and then the guy would say, well, you know, what, what do you think that means to you? And the person would sit there. Well, to me, you know, that means, you know, because of, well, when I was young, you know, it applies this way. And, oh, okay, good. How about the next? Well, to me, you know, this word means this. And then, you know, you go around and you have eight people in the circle. And then you get back to the Bible study leader. And I'm waiting with bated breath. Is somebody going to tell me what it means? Because I just got ten different opinions. And then the leader says, okay, well, that was good. Let's go. Let's move on. It's like, wait a minute. Stop. What's going on here? That's not Bible study. That's Bible suicide. I mean, that's crazy. You know, we have to approach the scriptures the way we would approach our job, the way we would approach the raising of our kids, the way we would approach our own health or whatever. We, we have to do some homework. We have to understand what we need to do. But the primary way the Holy Spirit leads us is by illuminating the scriptures to our minds. Maybe you're here this morning you're saying, <laughs> maybe you're questioning your own salvation. Ask yourself this, real simple. Want to know whether you're a Christian or not? Are you understanding God's word when you read it? Is the spirit teaching you those truths found in God's word? Are you coming to accurate conclusions about what you learn in the Bible? Is your heart convicted when you read the Bible? Does God's word give me joy? when I read joyful passages? Does it bring me to sorrow when I read sorrowful passages? Is the Bible a living book to me? See, if you can say yes to those questions, I guarantee you that the Spirit has illuminated your heart and your mind in His Word. Well, He also leads us by sanctification. He leads us by sanctification. Once the Holy Spirit has shown to you what the Bible says... Basically, he assists you in applying it, in living it out. There's a lot of people that know what the Bible says, but they don't take it to the second step. They don't apply it. See, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit leads us by prompting our hearts to obey God. Psalm 119 verse 35 says, Make me go in the path of thy commandments, and there do I delight. He also says in verse 133, Psalm 119, Order my steps in your word, and let not my any iniquity have dominion over me. The Spirit of God illuminates the mind, but he also activates the will, and he does so through sanctification, through, first of all, the confirmation of the Spirit. Look at what he says there in verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're led, present tense, it's an act of thing that's going on in your life. See, when you're not studying God's word, you're not walking in obedience. You're not going to receive this confirmation of your salvation from the spirit. There's going to be a check there. Something's not going to be right. When you do not submit to his leading, what happens? You doubt your salvation. I mean, that's why the New Testament, all over the place, what's it do? It tells us It's filled with exhortation after exhortation to be obedient, to be growing in God's word. That's so important. And if you think coming here, sitting here for an hour, hearing somebody expound the scriptures, well, that's what it's all about. You've missed the whole point. This is just a celebration of all your study you've done all week just like it's a celebration of my study that I've done all week. If you're relying on some guy to come up here, stand behind a pulpit, and somehow give you enough to get through the next week, you're sorely mistaken. I don't care who that individual is. You have to invest. Then you will sense this confirmation because the Spirit's leading is not sporadic. It's not something that's momentary. It's a continual reality in the life of every believer. Secondly, it's also... The conviction of the Spirit. Not just the confirmation of the Spirit, but the conviction of the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit's help, I mean, we would have so many problems. It's, it's, you can't even go there. I mean, he restrains you from sin. It's through him, Romans 8.13 says, that you kill the deeds of the body. The Holy Spirit battles with you against sin. He doesn't leave you to fight it alone. Even when we fail to resist sin. What does he do then? He convicts us. He leads our heart, our mind, and our will to go in the right direction. When you're tempted to sin, you'll hear his voice. If you fall, you'll hear his voice again. Why did you do that? He painfully convicts us so that we never want to commit that sin again. Galatians 5.16 says this, Walk in the Spirit, and you will what? Not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, if you follow the the path which the Spirit has you on, if you follow the leading of the Spirit, sin will become less frequent in your life. It's very, very clear. Paul tells us in Galatians there, verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they oppose to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the the flesh are evident. In other words, it's it's very, very clear. There's no misunderstanding here what the works of the flesh are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger... Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And by the way, things like this. (laughs) Everything else. Just in case he didn't hit on your little pet sin. Anything like that. And he says, I warn you as I warned you before. That those, look at what it says. Those who do such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. Won't happen. But instead, Christians, if your life is messed up with all these things or any one of these things as a way of life, if you're living for sin and not for Christ, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says. I mean, you can make your profession of faith till the cows come home. That's why it's so important that we understand when we hear those who are caught in the homosexual lifestyle, and then we hear that, well, they're Christians, and they're in the homosexual lifestyle. And then you hear of churches affirming them in their homosexual lifestyle because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something wrong. There's just something wrong. Because the Bible says if you're going to practice such a lifestyle, it's a sinful lifestyle, just like you would practice an adulterous lifestyle. Does that mean you live perfectly? No. Speaking of lifestyle. Speaking of high-handed sinfulness, just, you know what? I'm a Christian, but here's, here, this is who I am. I'm just going to do this. You know, I'm an alcoholic, so I drink. I'm just going to be drunk all the time because that's who I am. Or you know what? I'm just an angry person, so I'm, I'm just angry all the time. That's just who I am. You just have to accept it. We wouldn't say that. We would say, no, you, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and what Paul goes on to say is that, but the fruit of the Spirit, fruit, singular, fruit, singular. It's not the fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Remind yourself, when you're praying, it's singular. When you're talking to somebody about the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that are indicative of a life in the life of a believer. Against such things, there is no law. What happens when we don't do those things? We grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person of the Trinity. He's a real person. He's not just some smoky thing that, you know, floats around or whatever. It, it's a, he's a real person. And he can be grieved. It's also possible to insult the Spirit of Grace. Hebrews ten twenty nine. See if you don't follow the Spirit's leading in your life, as a Christian, if you don't, you're not going to have the joy and the peace that God has promised to you. Your your Christian life is going to be miserable. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're miserable as a Christian, then you need to go to God and you need to say, you know what? Am I a Christian, first of all? Because if I am, why am I doing these things? And if I am a Christian, then I need to start stop listening to the flesh and start listening to the Spirit so that I can experience this joy and this peace that you promised me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. It doesn't say work for it. Work it out. If you're saying that you're a Christian, this should be fleshing itself out in our lives. The Spirit of God should be changing us. And it says to do so with fear and trembling. I think today in our churches, we've, we've come to understand God's grace so much, which we're thankful for. But we, we count on it so much that there's very little fear and trembling. We like the verse, oh, bold, I come into your throne. You know, we like those verses. We don't like the verses that cause us to fear and trembling before a holy God. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What's God's purpose in your life? To do his will. That's it. That's it. Has your will been redirected to his? When you look deep down inside, do you find that you really want to serve God and you want to act according to his good purpose? God's not going to force you to be godly against your will. He changes your will by this new birth that we've speak, spoken about. John Murray had it right when he said this. The activity of the believer is the evidence of the Spirit's activity. The activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. Let me say that again. It's kind of interesting. The activity of the believer is the evidence of Of the Spirit's activity. And the activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. See, if you're trying to please God, it is because the Spirit of God is at work within you, leading you to want and to actually do what He desires. Well, that brings us to our last thing quickly here. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the last spiritual truth here, basically, is those led by the Spirit of God are our true brothers and sisters. In other words, we're part of the divine family. We're all in it together. The King James Version started this verse. It says this, for as many as... And that's a good rendering. It emphasized the inclusive nature... Of God's family. You know, we need to remind ourselves continuously that there are many differences between believers within the church of Jesus Christ. There's differences of class, personality, background, economic status, temper, and abilities, drive, sensitivity, thousands of things. They have led to divisions in churches, but not all divisions are over doctrinal things. Many divisions exist that should not exist. And sometimes, these Christians in one camp kind of become suspicious and even fail to associate with those in another because they think somehow they have a corner on the truth and they're the only church. What this is telling us, if if the spirit of Christ dwells within you, if you're being led by the spirit of God, then you are part of God's family. The church you go to is kind of second. And Paul wanted that very clearly understood, that we're all Those who put their faith and trust in Christ are children of God. Talks about a similarity of a disposition when you're called sons of God. That's why he calls us sons of God. Sons are the object of a special affection. Any father would tell you that. And thirdly, sons have a title to some particular dignity or advantage. As we talked about being heir. John Piper put it this way. When you fight sin by trusting in Christ as superior to what sin offers, you are being led by the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that our lives would be one that's not led by the flesh. Lord, that just ends in sin, death, all kind of upheaval. Lord, even as believers, when we fall into sin, we see our lives fall into disarray. Conviction fills our hearts and steals our joy. And so, Lord, as believers, first and foremost, let it begin with the the house of God. If we need to repent, if we need to turn our hearts back to you, if we need to confess of some known sin in our own lives that is causing you dishonor, whatever it might be, Father, we thank you when we do confess it, when we come and we heed the Spirit's conviction that you are there ready to apply that forgiveness that has already been accounted to us because of what Christ has done. We thank you for that. And Lord, if there's any here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray, I I ask, Lord, that you would do that work, that divine work that only you can do in the heart of an unbeliever to open their eyes, to open their heart to the truth, the simple truth that they're a sinner and they need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is that Savior and that he will come into their life in a brand new way and put things in right order in a way that honors and glorifies him, and that they can experience for the first time the forgiveness of sin and the relief of that burden that they've been carrying for all so long. Father, we thank you, and we praise you for your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650 9923 again that's 6503669923 or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org we've got a lot of resource materials available there more information about who we are and if you need a map to visit us at grace bible church that's there as well again gracefultruth.org And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today, and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.